that you're here. Um, we are going to be in God's Word today, Luke chapter 17. While you're turning there, I'm going to invite uh, my friend Noel uh, to come up. Uh, Noel, I'll let him introduce his formal title and all of those things. That uh, He is a, a dear friend, supporter of Grace Point, and uh, I've asked if he would come and, and lead us in prayer. Uh, specifically, pray for our church plant, pray for the message, and pray for you. And so we're so thankful that he is visiting with us today. You're going to have the privilege of hearing him speak uh, not too long from now. Uh, he's going to come and, and preach for us. Uh, but today he's coming and he's going to pray for us. So, uh, Noel, would you lead us in prayer? And right. if you want to share anything, please feel free. Yeah, for those that don't know, I'm Noel Williamson. I'm the executive director of the South Yakin Baptist Association, which you guys are a part of. And the uh, SYBA, for short, consists of churches... Baptist churches in Moxville, Mooresville, Statesville, and surrounding communities. You know, and we, we can do so much more by partnering and working together for God's glory. And my role, too, is to be a resource and an encouragement for our pastors and churches. So we're, we're here for you. Anything we can do to help you, let us know. You're not alone. You know, I was a church planner uh, up in New England, and I was really blessed by the association's help. And we want to be an asset, and we want to help you in any way that we can. So I want to let you guys know that we're all on the same team. It's about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, I just want to play, pray as we come together to worship you, that you'll prepare our hearts and our minds, God. Help us be open to the message that you want us to hear, God. Show us what we need to start doing, what we need to stop doing, and what we need to do better, God. And God, I want to pray your blessings upon Chris and his family and the ministry here. And God, I want to pray that this church will continue to grow, that this gym will be filled on both sides with people crying out to you, God. We want to pray for revival for this church, for this city, God, for this state, that we can turn to you and see you for who you are, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and show us who we are, sinners saved by grace. So help us to repent and get ourselves right so that we can hear from you. And we pray all this in your precious Son, Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Noel. You know, I, I've been thinking, uh, you know, your, our, our association name is S-Y-B-A, I thought it'd be really cool if we could add an M in there somewhere and make it Simba, which would be a really cool way to remember that. You know, like maybe South Yakin Ministries, Baptist Association. And, you know, Simba is Swahili for lion, so it'd be powerful. I think that'd be awesome. But anyway, a little side note, if you ever do a name change, Simba. Anyway, Luke, <laughs> Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We have been uh, through a series of... Uh, we're in our second series now. We're doing the journey to Jerusalem. The first one was the, the journey uh, within Galilee. A lot of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee. And Luke records, it's very interesting how Luke writes. He's, he's now shifted focus and said Jesus has set his eyes on Jerusalem. And he is headed uh, to Jerusalem. Jesus knows what his purpose is. Jesus knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus isn't hiding it from the disciples. He comes right out and at times tells them, hey, the, you know, the Son of Man is, you know, must suffer uh, many things. And, you know, he's telling them what's going to happen. But uh, they're, they're, they're not quite getting the message just yet. But here they are. They're excited about going to Jerusalem. In fact, I think that they knew that something, something's going to happen. 
because uh, Jesus is so focused on getting to Jerusalem, and, the, and it seems like they're like, okay, this is it. This is the kingdom of God is going to be, boom, and we're going we're gonna to overthrow the Roman government, right? I mean, I, you have this idea, this sense that the disciples, they knew something significant was about to happen in Jerusalem. Uh, but again, their idea, their concept of what they thought was going to happen is, is very different than what actually took place. So what we see is, in Luke chapter 17, is this continuation of this journey that Jesus is making uh, through the villages. You know, starts out in Galilee, and he's working through the various uh, villages through uh, Samaria on his way uh, to Jerusalem. And Jesus, like I said, he knows... He knows what's about to happen, so he also knows that his time is limited. The disciples might be thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come. He's going to overthrow. He's going to be the king. He's going to establish the kingdom uh, here on earth. And Jesus is thinking, my time is limited. I've got to teach them everything that I can in, in, in this short trip that we're making you know, now from Galilee to Jerusalem uh, I've got to continue to teach them. I've got to teach them things that are of value, things that are, are going to be helpful in their, uh, on their journey uh, after he's gone. Like once, once Jesus dies, once he's resurrected, uh, will the disciples know what they need to know? Will they have the knowledge? Will they have the experience? Will they have all that they need uh, to continue this, this movement so what we see is Jesus is very concerned with teaching the disciples some, some principles. And in Luke uh, chapter 17, there are four life lessons that are essentials really to the Christian faith. Uh, in fact, I would suggest this. You know, if I were to ask those, those of you who are Christians, um, whether here or whether watching online, if you're a, if you're a born-again Christian, and I would ask you this question. I think I already know the answer. Would you like to grow in your faith? You know, the, the answer would be obviously, go, yeah. Yeah, I would love to grow in my faith. I mean, we never want to get to a point where we're just, you know, s static, right? And just say, well, I don't know if I want to grow anymore or not. We're, we're, always, we're always wanting to grow. We always want, you know, to, to deepen our faith. We can go to seminars, we can go to conventions, we can go to all sorts of different things and, and hear from pastors and Christian leaders and have all these different uh, outlines on, here's, how to, here's 10 ways to grow in your faith. But wouldn't it be awesome, wouldn't it be incredible if, I don't know, somewhere right there in Scripture, Jesus said, here's four ways. Here's four ways. And he's teaching the disciples, here's four ways you can grow in your faith. That's what he's doing in Luke 17. Luke chapter 17 is Jesus himself giving the disciples, if you want to grow in your faith, if, if you want your faith to, to deepen, you want your faith to be mature, then consider these four things. So let's do this. Let me give you key point number one, and then we'll run through Luke chapter 17. Here's what it is. Key point number one is this. If we want our faith to grow, we must learn to forgive others. If we want our faith to grow, we must learn to forgive others. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to, to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should 
um, and a millstone were hung around his neck, they were thrown into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So what's what's this first four verses? What What is it getting at? I mean, when he says to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. What's he saying? He said it's impossible to go through life and not have somebody sin against you. It's impossible. It's not, you, you cannot go through life and not have someone else do something that hurts you. You're, it's going to happen. Why? Because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken, sinful, fallen world, and you can't go through life. It, Jesus said it himself. It's impossible that no offenses should come. It's going to happen. You're going to have things that are, somebody is going to do something that's going to hurt you. It's going to happen. And then he says, but woe to him through whom they come. What's he saying there? He's addressing the very person who has sinned against you. He's saying, you know, woe to that person who does this sinful thing, who does something that does cause harm to you. And then he cautions the disciples not to be guilty of being the ones whose actions cause the the faith of others to be hindered. What he says is this, listen. Okay, so he's saying it's impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him, who, who is him, this guy who, is, who has done some wrong against you, if a millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea, rather than he do something that causes your faith to be hindered. That's what he's saying. Now, sometimes we read that and it says uh, to offend one of these little ones. And sometimes we think of that as little children. And it certainly includes little children. But the idea here is much larger than that. He's saying uh, it, would be, it, would be a, it would be best if, if a millstone were turn, uh, hung around his neck, thrown into the sea, if he causes someone young in their faith to stumble and even possibly lose their faith as a result. Or just completely abandon the faith because they did something that was so, that was so offensive. And so it, it, he says then to do what? He says, take heed yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So Jesus is cautioning the disciples to do what? Be careful that you're not the one who does something that causes someone else to stumble. Don't do something that causes someone else to abandon their faith. Because they look at you and go, oh look at him. What a hypocrite. And then, you know, it, it's, it doesn't take much, does it, for us to find examples of people who profess faith and then commit such a heinous sin that it causes others to stumble. In fact, um, this week, as I researched this very subject, I looked at examples of ministry leaders and pastors who had lost their ministry because of some type of sinful behavior. And it damaged the ministry that they once led. And as I was doing the research, I can tell you this. What began as a quest or a search for information resulted with my heart being grieved. Um, I was moved with uh, just this heartbreaking. um, I would read name after name after name and situation after situation. And some current, some long ago, 
And every single one of them, frustrating. Every single one of them. Sometimes we can become so disconnected that we read the headlines, but we have no uh, personal attachment. Oh, you know, that's some ministry in another state, another place. It still grieves. But let me share with you from personal experience. And I asked Cheryl uh, earlier this week, I said, I'd like to, to share a little bit about our story. Maybe a little bit that we don't always share, especially public, um, and some of the heartbreak that we have been through. And Cheryl said, you, you know, you feel free to share. So with her permission and blessing, uh, she said, you'll, you'll know if the Spirit is, is prompting. Uh, but Cheryl and I, we, we met in our, our freshman year uh, in college. And we were, let's see, we were uh, engaged at 19, married at 20, and Carson at 21. Empty nesters by 40. Uh, but let me say this. Uh, during that first six months of our dating, um, it was going to be one of the most difficult, one of the most challenging times. Cheryl, many of you know, is the preacher's daughter. You know, she grew up and, and swore up and down she will never marry a preacher, right? Uh, she was like, no, no, I won't, I won't be a preacher, in fact, or a wife of a preacher. Not only that, uh, her dad uh, was a church planter, right? So she's like, hard work. She knows church planting, seen it up close. Back then, it was uh, literally church planters not only started the church, they would physically be the contractors to build a building and all of that stuff. So, I mean, we're talking, when, when we're talking church planting, they did it all. Um, during the first six months of our dating, uh, Cheryl's dad, uh, pastor of our church, was caught in an affair. And here, here we are, what, 30, 30 plus years later, and it's still hard to talk about. Um, someone you looked up to. Someone you admired in ministry. Someone that was mentoring you. Teaching you. And then, suddenly, Cheryl not only lost her family. Now we've lost our church. How can we go back to the church that her dad pastored? We, we, we've lost in this single act of adultery. We lost our church family. Um, now, let me be clear. There were a lot of really good people that were very supportive of us during that time, but we, we, we lost our ability to gather with them and worship with them. There was a lot that we lost. And when, when I think about this list, and I look at, listen, listen to this. Pastors, and this is not too long ago, I've seen pastors that have lost their ministry over alcohol abuse, adultery, abuse of power, uh, teaching heresy, uh, soliciting prostitutes. Let me, let me tell you this one. This was this one. This one was a guy in North Carolina that was soliciting prostitutes. That, you know, no, no surprise there. Sometimes we were familiar with people like Jimmy Swagger. But even right here in North Carolina, not too long ago, there was a guy 
um, was retired in ministry. He was in his 80s and was arrested for soliciting a prostitute. He didn't just lose his ministry. He lost his, his legacy instantly. A man in his 80s. There's one in national headlines, drug abuse. There was one pastor that was having a homosexual affair with his drug dealer. All of those things are heartbreaking. But having gone through personally, having gone through it up close, the church that Cheryl and I met in, we can no longer visit. The church that, um, where I recommitted my life to Christ and said, um, I, I'm, I'm surrendering to ministry. I can't go back to you. Lost, lost my church. Lost that. Through the years, we've learned the importance of forgiveness. It's hard. But here's what we know. Um, during that time period, um, Cheryl and I got engaged. We committed to each other, and this is what I told Cheryl. I said, I don't know um, really how all of this has impacted you as a daughter. But I know this. I will commit to you to never put you through as a wife what you have endured as a daughter. So having said that, through the years, we set up different safeguards some things that I can do to protect myself and protect our marriage, to protect her, to make sure that I don't put myself into situations. There was a situation, gosh, this is years and years ago, where I was a youth pastor and one of the parents of the teens was lingering and, you know, she wanted to talk to me afterwards and, and she, you know, and it, it made me feel very uncomfortable. And on my way home, I was like, do I, do I tell this to Cheryl or just keep it to myself? And I thought, no, no, I need to tell her. I need to tell her. And as soon as I got home, because you know what would happen? If I kept it to myself and I, and, I, and I didn't share with her, then I'm leaving a window open. And I got home and I said, listen, it may not have been anything about it, but the situation was strange. And I just want, so we've had this type of relationship, Cheryl and I, through the years, to just be very candid just say, listen, you know, this happened or this happened, or I, I, want, I want you to be here for this purpose and for accountability and to make sure that, that I never put myself in a situation where I will do something that could damage ministry. I always told my son growing up, so we're all one decision away from making the evening news. Every single one of us, we're one decision away from making the evening news. You can do something today. And be on WSOC TV. But you know what? One, one decision away. Make sure. Make sure you're protecting yourself. So what, 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 what about all of that? When I, when I consider that. The mature Christian doesn't, it's not that we, we avoid, that we have, we experience. It's impossible for us to go through to life and not have these things happen. They're going to happen. They're going to be hurtful. They're going to be difficult to navigate. It's going to be really, really a hard thing to do. But the mature Christian knows that forgiveness is, a, is not an easy exchange. 
It's not an easy exchange. It's not just, uh, ah, don't worry about it. Authentic forgiveness involves pain. Authentic forgiveness is painful. Authentic forgiveness involves someone who has been hurt and has been hurt deeply. And when we've been hurt, there is a price to pay for that. But when we forgive, hear me on this, there comes a point where we say, you no longer owe me. I cancel the debt. That's what forgiveness is. You see, you could say, well, they they did something that really, really hurt me. They owe me, whatever it might be, you, you know, they owe me an apology. Or they hurt me in this way. And they owe me something because of the hurt and the pain that they caused. Forgiveness is saying, you no longer owe me that debt. I am canceling that debt. I am going to cancel that. You, you no longer are indebted to me because of the pain that you caused me. And I forgive you of the debt of what you owe me. You no longer owe me anything. You don't owe me an apology. You don't owe me whatever it might fill in the blank. That's what forgiveness is. It's a cancellation of debt. Whatever it is that they owe you, you're saying, you know what? It's gone. That debt is canceled. It doesn't mean that the hurt has just suddenly disappeared. It doesn't mean that the pain and all those things associated with it have have disappeared. What does it mean? It means the debt has been canceled. You have now said, you no longer owe me. If we want to grow in our faith, Jesus, Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to learn how to forgive. First of all, he's saying, if you're, make sure that you're not the one who's doing this, such a sin that causes other people to give up on their faith. But then when someone sins against you, when someone causes that hurt to you, Can you forgive them? Can you cancel the debt? That's a hard lesson to learn. It's really hard to do because some of us have been hurt deeply by other people. But we live in a sinful, broken world and it's impossible to go through life and not not have those things happen. So Jesus says, you want to grow in your faith? Learn to forgive. Learn to forgive others.